Welcome to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast. In this podcast, you'll get discussions and interviews 100% dedicated to helping financial advisors with their marketing challenges, as well as sharing what's working well in their practice. The Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast is produced by FinancialAdvisors.com, the premier directory for financial advisors across the U.S. Your hosts and panelists include Jim Eckel, president of FinancialAdvisors.com, and Ken Tucker, marketing solutions architect. So thank you for checking us out, and please let us know how we can better help you grow your advisory practice. Welcome to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Show, brought to you by FinancialAdvisor.com, the consumer-friendly, advisor-driven, comprehensive marketing service for independent financial advisors. Today, I'd like to welcome Lynn Evans with Women of Substance. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Good to be here. Lynn, the first question on my mind is, how long have you been an advisor and where are you located at? I've been an advisor for more than 35 years and I'm in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Scranton is probably the closest thing I can think of. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yes, all of the office and all that uh, other good stuff. The office, yeah. So you're next to Dundler Mifflin then, I guess. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. right around the block. Lynn, are most of your clients in the area or across the country? They are mostly in this area, but a lot of them have retired and moved to different places. There's a smattering of them everywhere. Yeah. I have a question for you, since you're the managing director of Women of Substance. Why, after 30 years in the business, did you decide to sell your practice and start an entirely new niche practice? I had the business that I sold for about uh, 15 or 20 years. It was a very robust, wonderful business, generating a lot of good revenue. And everybody told me I was crazy for doing this, but I felt something inside of me saying, I'm bored to tears. I need to do something else. So I sold the business to my primary, I would say advisor for lack of a better term, but he was someone that I brought on about 10 years ago. He developed into an excellent financial advisor and was very well received by the clients. That was an easy transition for me to say to myself, what are the parts about this business that I love? I think the thing that just popped out was I loved the relationships I had with many of the women clients who I've been with for, in some cases, more than 25 years. And I realized that their relationship with me was one of absolute trust. It's nice to have that level of trust with people. And so I thought, I'm going to carve out about 15 households from that particular business that I sold. And that's what created Women of Substance. And with the exception of two people, they're all women who are, I would say, baby boomers. And that's exactly who I wanted to work with. I wrote a book, too, called Power of the Purse. The subtitle to that is Fear-Free Finances for Baby Boomer Women. It was logical for me to just walk into that world and say, that's the niche marketing that I really want to get involved with because I know them, I am one of them, and I understand the issues that they face. And so I thought originally it would just be a small, comfortable little practice, 
but interestingly enough, three or four years later, it's now doubled in size. And that's only because other women found out that I was in the business or they were ready to retire or their circumstances changed and they needed the help of someone like me. It's worked out really well. From referrals then largely? Yes. Excellent, okay. Yeah, it's all been referrals. It's a nice thing to say that, and I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but I think that what it looks like to me is that it's a representation of that level of trust. Because if someone would say that to me, and usually when I get a call from someone who's a referral, they'll start off by saying, so-and-so sent me to you. Okay, yeah. so it's an absolute done deal. It's mm -hmm. nice to have that level of that's the power of niching too as well yes. by niching it also helps to convey that additional level of trust when somebody's looking at making a buying decision and trust factor is huge and yeah. uh, good for you that sounds like a wonderful niche it is and it's very personally rewarding because in yeah. most cases those women who are coming to me are usually not necessarily in a crisis mode but the need is acute. It is either I've been widowed, I'm getting a divorce, I need to think about retirement. So all of them are right in their face, faces. So mm -hmm. uh, there's an urgency to it. And that's what makes it really special because I'm not really selling me, I'm selling them on the need to do something. Well, then this might dovetail on the response you just gave, but let me ask the question anyway. What is the central issue for baby boomer women, in your opinion? I think it's a leftover, Jim. I think it goes from our parents and our grandparents, where the assumption always was money was not anything that a woman had to be concerned about, nor should she be, because husbands, fathers, they always took care of it for them. They either did a great job or they did a lousy job, but the fact is that's the only option we had. Or if we went any kind of advisors, they were mostly men. They would mm -hmm. be my husband's attorney who we played golf with. It would be my husband's accountant who always did our taxes and put them in front of me on April 15th and said, sign them. That's just the way it was. It wasn't necessarily right or wrong. It's just that's the way it was. And then I think what's happened is because women have been forced to be financially independent, whether it's through death of a spouse or a divorce, we call them gray divorces because they're usually well after 25 years of marriage or retirement, they have to make decisions. They're forced to be in a position where they themselves have to make those decisions. And that's a whole new territory for most women. They're so afraid. In many ways, it's a language they've never learned and they felt disenfranchised on the whole subject. I think the biggest problem is, how do I find somebody that I can admit my fears and my ignorance of money and not make them look down on me or criticize me for not doing what I should be doing with my money? It's an obvious thing for me to step into that hole. That's a good answer. One that needs to be heard by a lot of women, and if they're in your particular marketplace, maybe women. And, and a lot of men, Jim, too. I'm old enough to remember that the, the only reason my wife got her first job with General Foods was the fact that the company ordered that women be hired. Yeah. 
Well, that's what happened to me. When I first started, I, I started in the insurance business because they were told they had to hire a woman. Yeah. And it's yeah. one of the funniest stories ever because it was at the time when this was Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And they were in a transition between what they used to call the debit agents, where mm -hmm. the guys had their little roots that they went to and sat yep. and had coffee and picked the, up the quarters or whatever. The and it was a routine. It was a, the way they did it. And then they started bringing in people like me. Of course, I was the only woman there. But all this, these other young men who were told that, oh, you got to go out and sell big stuff. We don't want this little stuff anymore. They didn't quite know where to physically put because in the office there was this big open space which they used to call the bullpen where a lot of these debit guys would just hang out they were across from each other on desks metal desks there were no dividers there was nothing they would have com lively conversations and use a couple words that probably you shouldn't use in front of a woman but they didn't really care the manager thought he can't do that. He can't put me in the midst of that. And there really was no other space. So what they did is they converted a linen closet, which had glass on the door and they put in a desk and they bought me a red chair. <laughs> and I was kind of like in the aquarium. Everybody walked by, looked at me, hi, Lynn, hi. But I never got to socialize with anybody because honestly, they really didn't know what to do with me. Finally, I left Metropolitan Life and went on to other things. But I was still, whatever I went to, whatever conferences, I was one of maybe a handful of women that were there for this purpose. Thankfully, now it is much different. But we still are only 20% of the certified financial planners in the country. And we need to up that. That number has been growing lately. Well, that's good. Even just thinking back, it really hasn't been all that long ago before women weren't even able to get credit cards. And there's a generational gap of understanding there that the younger people today take that for granted. Your ideal clients, they've experienced it, they've lived it, you described it well. I would assume that working with a woman advisor really resonates. It does. I think they honestly feel that they won't be ridiculed for asking questions that may seem to them as being stupid. There are women that I, years ago, who were widowed, who had never written a check before, and they didn't even know how to do that. Wow. So it's really starting with very much the basics and explaining how these things work. That was the intention of the book that I wrote because it was designed to try to take women from that space and move them gradually, and what we all call baby steps, moving them forward with a level of knowledge of finance that would make them feel at least comfortable in asking the questions and not being afraid to say, please tell me that again because I didn't understand. Speaking of books, how has that worked out for you? Did you have a go-to-market strategy when you launched the book? No. The book was written and produced and sent out to the world, published in 2015. Okay. And at that time, all I thought I was doing is just using it like a business card. Well, yeah. It was really just something that gave me credibility. And yeah. it was something that was designed to say, okay, there is something out there that we might call a primer. 
and say, this is very helpful for women. What I ended up doing was on my podcast, Power of the Purse, which was named for the book, every guest would get a signed copy of my book, which means I was buying the books and not too many other people because there was no marketing plan. Nobody really understood how to do it. But even that is marketing because getting the book in the hands of somebody, even if they're a guest, they're still likely to need your services. And that book helps them inform them in any way. They may wind up contacting you potentially to be their advisor. That was the idea. Yes. Yeah. But I think I'm re-examining the whole idea of marketing the book because I think the book now is probably more relevant than it was even six years ago when it was published. Why do you say that? I think that there is a greater level of comfort now about admitting that I need help. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and I'm searching for something. And a lot of women in the baby boomer generation still like the physical book. They like to look at it, feel it, touch it, go back to it. And it was designed that it would be something that you could read and every 15 minutes you would learn something and you could put it down after that and then come back to it at some point in time. But there were actually exercises at the end of every chapter that helped to reinforce the basic points of the chapter. It was really, as I said, a primer that I designed specifically for baby boomer women. But I've had a lot of women say to me, I gave this to my daughter because she doesn't know anything either. And she's not a baby boomer. But I guess it's something that it's primal knowledge of how finances work. Mm -hmm. I was talking with a potential client who's in bankruptcy law. We were talking about the fact that, again, that's something where a lot of people have a hard time rightfully expressing their issues and their situations. And so I think something like a book and making it easy for people to find your book or driving traffic from various means as people are seeking out information, because these are delicate topics and, and people are embarrassed sometimes. Whether they should be or not is irrelevant. They are. I think it's really important to get information to them because I, I know if I were ever in a situation where I had to consider bankruptcy, I'd be waking up at three o'clock at night. I'd be doing internet searches. I'd be trying to figure out yeah. what do I need to do to solve this problem. And if I found something that served as a guide to help me figure that out, that would be invaluable to me. And a book is very much a tool that, could, that you could use in that way. Yes, that was the idea. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of marketing, I have a question for you. And everybody, since this is the financial advisor, essential financial advisor marketing show, what type of marketing challenges do you have, Lynn, with this new four-year-old, five-year-old company called Women of Substance? To be honest with you, Jim, it's a different world. And that was part of the difficulty I had. I was used to very traditional marketing, which was that we would do annual client events and ask people mm -hmm. to bring friends. And right. then we would do maybe some email campaigns. There were always some things that we were doing that by all standards at this point would be considered traditional marketing. Yeah. What I discovered, I have to find out where the baby boomer women are on social media because social media is where I need to reach them, not necessarily in an email campaign. I've been looking at LinkedIn 
and working with people who know how to find these women and doing some marketing that's really targeted specifically to them. I also understand that many of them are now on Facebook. And so I find that doing things like quizzes are really very good for people who are baby boomers because they really want to know without any kind of not prejudice, but judgment. They want to know how are they doing? And if they fail the test, they don't have to share that with anybody, but at least they know where they are. So that's been extremely helpful and difficult for me to make that transition. Yeah. Quizzes are great. We have this term in, in the marketing world called a lead magnet and classic lead magnets are webinars or seminars, the in-person events, they could be a book, an ebook that somebody could download. Quizzes are really one of the highest converting things that we're seeing happening right now. So kudos to you for doing that. Hopefully anybody who takes that quiz, you're dropping them in, in, into an email nurture sequence, sending them key pieces of information to help guide their journey, arriving to the point where they need to raise their hand and say, okay, I'm ready for some help. Yeah. You know, because that's really powerful. So yeah, quizzes are really amazing for that. And I'll I tell you this because I know for sure that it works. I've had a radio show for 13 years that's a local radio show. Hmm. One of the things that we always get the most feedback from is when I bring a quiz to the episode and my partner, who has been a banker years and years ago, she loves to take the quiz and wants to get 100%. And she doesn't always get 100%, but and then that frustrates her. But it's one of those things that people really love to know, where do they stand? They want, they're competitive, and they want to ace this, or at least mm-hmm. pass it. But it's <laughs> just interesting how much interest there is. Every time I say, we're going to do a quiz, we'll be right back. People come right back. They want to hear the quiz. Yeah. They're also great for self-diagnosis, and then you can have recommended action steps to help yes. guide people to take, depending on what profile they wind up having from the quiz results, you can make recommended actions. People love that kind of stuff because it gives them some guidance and direction. One of the things we're seeing happening more and more is that maybe it's because everybody has phone handy, or they've got all of these smart devices throughout their house, but people are asking questions now when they're doing searching. Those questions frequently are because they don't know how to really describe their problem. So they're trying to ask questions to figure out what is my situation? What is the best recommended next step? Or how do I find more information to help me down that path to take care of the pain that I'm dealing with? It is. Now we know about the challenges and so forth. Social media has always been getting stronger and stronger, although I'm not sure what happened to Facebook yesterday. That was strange. (laughs) Coincidentally, after the uh, whistleblower episode for 60 Minutes, the timing was not good. Absolutely, because not only Facebook, but was the Instagram and the the WhatsApp is the juice of that biz. That goes all over. That's used in Europe mostly exclusively. So that was a real hit to him. But it's I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but the timing of that is, <laughs> you just have to ask yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If he's wondering he, if he has any enemies in high places, I think he's received his answer. Besides the social media, can you give us some more, a little bit more little tidbits about what's working well in your practice at present and what will continue on to the future? 
Yeah, one of the things that I thought, Jim, when I left and went out on my own, I thought, I don't think I have sufficient revenue to hire staff, or I, I just didn't want to go through that whole thing again. I just gave that up. And in looking at how do you still function in a practice that is not as big as it was before, but it keeps growing almost in spite, I still need something else. And so I decided that what I wanted to do to make this work was to use outsourced virtual assistance. It was very difficult to find virtual assistance in our particular niche. Yes, they could do stuff for business in general, but right. to do things for people who were in the financial services field and to understand what compliance is and how that works, it was like a needle in a haystack. Mm. But fortunately, I was speaking to someone who had contacted me through LinkedIn, and I mentioned to him that's something I was looking for. He happened to know of a group that was in North Carolina, and of course, I'm in Pennsylvania, and I thought, that's good because at least they're on the East Coast, so we don't have to worry about the time differences. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with them for two years now. They do the QuickBooks that I need done. They do that on a biweekly basis. They also do some of the marketing email blasts that they send out to clients. The one woman that I'm working with specifically gets all the stuff prepared for client meetings, which are mostly done by Zoom, which is something I never had to do before. We generally have everything I need in that context from one place, and they're not my employees. And huh. I think that's great. And then the other side of it was, how do we do this same kind of thing in marketing, especially through social media, when I don't want to hire a local firm to do it? I want somebody who's already got this. And so I went to another group that works specifically with financial advisors because the owners of the company are financial advisors. So they understand compliance. They understand all of that. And that's another group that I've been very happy to work with. And then I thought, what am I going to do for financial plans? Because I used to have a desktop type thing. Now I'm using something that's on the web. And it's easy for me to share that with clients and we can do some what ifs right in front of them if, as long as we're on Zoom. And even if we're in the office, we can do the same thing. It was hard to find all that. And, and it was just really digging through so many different things. And people would say, why don't you go on a 5R? And I think, okay. But the problem with that is a lot of the people that I wanted to use were in Singapore or somewhere else. And so we had time differences. There are more and more support services coming online for people to be able to efficiently run financial planning practices without the traditional space and people. And since, since we're on the subject of virtual assistance and marketing, and we're the essential financial advisor marketing show, would you be able to give a plug for these companies? Who, what were their names and so forth? Yeah. The company that is the virtual assistance in the admin side is an all-back office. Like I said, they're in a small town in South Carolina. The marketing group is F as in Frank, M as in Mother, G, Suites.com. I believe they're in the Midwest. They're the 800-pound gorilla based in San Diego, FMG. That's them. Yep. And financial planning. That's right capital. 
That's the one. Oh, I Wright use. Capital. Yeah, that's. Yeah, they're in uh, Connecticut, I think, or Massachusetts. Yeah. I really like them, and I think they're very responsive. Whenever you have a question, you put that in that chat room, and within two minutes, somebody answers your question. So you're not hanging on forever. Are you actively creating podcasts right now? I am not at the moment. I have one as you know, power of the purse, yeah. but I haven't recorded anything since November. And a lot of that's been because of having had COVID and my husband had COVID. We had a lot of medical issues that I just didn't feel like I, it would be fair to anybody to really bring them on as a guest when I wasn't up to par. Yeah. But it is something I want to get back into. If not by the first of the year, then maybe second quarter. Another great strategy is being a guest on podcasts. The nice thing about that is you don't have to do nearly as much of the work. Yes. <laughs> the hosts have to do it. That's true. They're going to focus on the promotion and get you in front of audiences that yes. uh, you don't already have. So that, that can be a really nice thing as well. So yep. what about blogs? Do you do any blogs? I do through FMG Suites. Yes. Okay. I think we probably put something out at least three days a week. Okay. Now, do you know, is that original content or is that syndicated content that they're just pulling from a library? I think that it's original content from them because I've done writing. Sometimes I write things up and send them in and say, would you please post this? Yeah. The thing, the format that I love to do the most is it's a story. It's Jane came in to see me because blah, 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 blah. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. The end. Ultimately, marketing is about transformation. So if you can describe that transformation, then people can self-identify with that. I would hope so. The story and transformation is really powerful. You talked about uh, digital marketing. You're starting to use social media now because it sounds to me like that's, and I agree with you, I think that's a great way to find your ideal customers or clients. How is that going for you? Are you doing any paid ads on social media at this point? No, I tried that a while ago and I just didn't feel like I was getting anywhere with that. So I'm not sure what the next step is going to be, but we're looking at revamping the marketing campaigns that they've been using. That's probably something we'll just launch by the beginning of next year. Are you doing anything with Instagram? No, never did. Instagram's super popular, but for the age group that you're targeting, it may be less, but Facebook is really powerful, but Instagram's coming on strong. That's something to keep on your horizon. Yeah, and I also want to do more on my YouTube channel, too, because yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. People can really get to see who I am, what, how I am, how I'm being, and gives you a lot more than just a stagnant shot. And video is great because you can repurpose it. So yeah. you take that original video, you put it on your YouTube channel, you upload it to your Facebook page. You don't want to link to a YouTube video. That gets different reach because that's considered to be a link by Facebook. So you want to upload it natively to Facebook so that Facebook sees it as a video on Facebook. That's the best performing content right now that's out there. Then you can take your video content, you can break that out into little segments or pieces. You can turn a lot of that into social media content that's highly engaging. It's just a real powerhouse. You can take the transcript from a video and turn it into a blog post. Video right now is the top performing content, but it's also great because you can repurpose it and reuse it in so many different ways and across so many different platforms. 
And I think it's also very helpful for plastic surgeons. <laughs> Speaking of that, I think that re one of the reasons why Lynn's on the show is the fact that she's a, one of our advisors on financialadvisor.com. One of the things I want to point out to you, Lynn, is that whatever you've been doing with regards to your social media or any type of blogs or future media that you want to do, those are all available to you through your site because our website, financialadvisor.com, offers what I say, a consumer or an advisor-driven site that no one else has. The beauty behind this is that you can also take all that future marketing you're going to do, the blogs, your video, any type of podcast, introductory videos of Lynn's Women of Substance and so forth. That's all be part of your profile on financialadvisor.com, and it's all connected on the back end through digital marketing services that, once again, we started this broadcast with about two weeks ago with Ken, and that's the addition of what financial advisors' profiles bring is that now it's all wrapped into one, so they integrate together. And there's nobody else out there that will actually can offer that for just specific advisors because you mentioned that you could hire a digital marketing guy down the street. What you do is FMG is exactly in our business, but what yeah. we bring to the, uh, the table now is not only this suite of digital marketing services, they're integrated with your profile. And Jim, that's the conversation I'm having next week with my advisor at FMG. We're going to do that. We're going to get that connection made. When you're publishing original content, sometimes it makes sense to post some of that original content under your financial advisor profile, as opposed to all of it being on your own website or your blog. Because one of the challenges that everybody has when they're working on search engine optimization is how do you get quality inbound links? If you post your blog directly to your website first, and then you take a copy of that and you post it on financialadvisors.com, it's still great because it's getting eyeballs that are on financialadvisors.com, but it's not necessarily helping you from an SEO perspective. You can use content that you post on financialadvisors.com to generate quality inbound links back to your website, which can be a really valuable asset. Cool. Very good. This has been a great live session with Lynn Evans with Women of Substance. We really appreciate your coming on the show today as a guest, Lynn, and really like your niche market working with baby boomer women. That's something that is going to just get larger. So you, if you thought you wanted to retire, you probably picked a bad area to retire to. No. <laughs> I've been told by several of the clients, don't you dare think about retiring. Okay. <laughs> people like yourself are few and far between. I know there's a lot of people that work. When I was a broker at Merrill Lynch, I, my favorite people to, to work with were women. I was a young guy. I was in my early 30s. But women over 60, 60 like to work with me, too, because I would actually listen to them and not come from the point of view of that you're the little woman type stuff. So many advisors back in the 80s did that to their defeat because they just didn't like it. I know personally, I always like to address both parties, the husband and the wife. And That's after a while, I can recall, I wouldn't even point to the husband because I would just talk to the wife because that's <laughs> truth be known. That's where the power lies, Lynn. And Absolutely. I know as an ex Merrill Lynch broker, that's as 100% true. So Absolutely. <laughs> and that's because we usually outlive you. 
That's you true. <laughs> that's, that's where the power lies. Okay. Listen, thanks. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, Ken, you have any final comments? No, I think I'm good. Lynn, kudos to you. I, I love your niche. I love what you've already put in place from a marketing perspective. And I'm just excited to see where you can take it. Thanks. It's been a pleasure to be with you guys. It's so much fun to be a guest on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Thanks so much. Thank okay. you, Lynn. All right. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please be sure and subscribe to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to review us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit financialadvisorsupport.com for more episodes, our financial advisor directory, our blogs and video resources, and links to set up a free consultation with the hosts of this podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned.